Welcome to the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show, a real estate investment program. Listen and learn how to use real estate to build wealth and passive income streams for you and your family. We bring you experts every day to discuss and answer your questions on everything from single-family homes all the way up to 600-plus unit apartment complexes. And now, the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show. Hello and welcome to the show. This is Andy Webb with Lifestyles Unlimited. And as always, we're working on your financial freedom. So on today's show, I want to I wanna take up an article uh, that a, a listener sent me uh, just recently, it's very, very, it asks a very interesting question. And, and, and simply put, here's the question. It's the title of the article. How much do multifamily investors need to worry about demand for single-family rentals? How much do multifamily apartment investors need to worry about demand for houses, rental houses? And a very interesting article. This is from about a month ago. This was published on wealthmanagement.com. Jen Elliott is the author, again, just about a month ago. Uh, this came out. And this came out, this was published actually in part because what had happened that month, um, well, we heard that a big, big private equity giant, a big company, big hedge fund, uh, the Blackstone Group, had struck a deal to buy about 17,000, well, not to buy the houses, but buy the company itself, Home Partners of America, which owns 17,000 single-family houses for about $6 billion. So Blackstone sees clearly the value in the single-family market, single-family rental market, I should say, and is, is gobbling up more, more houses, adding more houses to its Portfolio, And it's just another indication that some of those big, big players out there, those hedge funds, those institutional players are seeing the the single family rental sector as a very solid investment and not just for today, but for for the foreseeable future. And it's it's an interesting question. If the big guys are out there doing this thing with single family, do the other big guys that are playing in the apartment space need to worry? We're going to look at that, and and it harkens back in part to a show I did a couple weeks ago, um, talking about rent growth, and we we looked at rent growth really across both asset classes, both uh, apartments and single family rentals, and and it's both it's up in both classes, but we learned during the course of the show, and and if you missed that show, if you, it, good information by the way, you want to know if you're thinking about getting started as a residential real estate investor buying income producing properties how is that rent growth tracking we talked about that this is a couple weeks ago uh, September, uh excuse me uh july 11th check that out you can go to our website lifestylesunlimited.com and, and find that archive there but th this this harkens back to one 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 part of that show where we talked about the single family side of things in particular and we heard that the single family the, the growth rate for rents in single family are on fire, tracking their fastest that we've ever seen and well, seen in the last 15 years or so, I should say. It's on fire. So do apartment owners need to be concerned? Um, they, they go on to say here in this particular article, same, same word, single family market is blistering hot right now. As investors, both private 
That's that's you and me. That's what, what a lot of people might call a mom and pop investor, private and institutional. And they define here institutional as uh, entities that own 100 or more single family rental houses. That's going to be those hedge fund hedge funds typically as they gobble up existing home stock. And not only are they gobbling up existing home stock, but home builders and, and some multi, get this multifamily owners, apartment investors are expanding their business models to include single-family rentals. Why? Hoping to capture more yield. Not just buying existing stock, but they are build, building entire communities that are, that are single-family rental homes. I've seen, I've seen those around here. I'm in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. If you knew the show, I'm, I'm a single-family investor. And there's a corollary question here that I would say, should I, your mom-and-pop investor, should I, the non-institutional guy, or you, the non-institutional mom or pop investor, be worried as well about those institutional guys? Should I be worried about Blackstone? And we're going to find out during the course of the show. Now, some good news for you. For the single-family investors in particular, I do need to bring this up now. This caught my eye recently. Do you remember, boy, it's been, uh, it was back in 2020, in fact, we, we talked at some point about the adverse market fee and this is a fee this was half of a percentage point that was uh taken uh, at closing if you did a refinance whether we're talking your personal residence or an investment property and i've done a number of those over the over the span of the months since we've talked about this and this fee was to help fannie mae and freddie mac the the big backers of mortgages in america which helps keep our our loans our, our interest rates low this was to help them recoup all expected losses from the pandemic. They were anticipating big losses, so they instituted this adverse market fee, half a percent. So if you took out a loan, let's say here, 300000 it's going to cost you an additional $1,500 to close. Like I said, I, you know, for me, it, it is annoying, but we continue to do our cash-out refis on, on both our personal house and on rentals because at this point, it's a cost of doing business. I want that money out so I can go invest it in other houses or in multifamily. So we, we dealt with that. But the good news for you, single-family investors, people that are financing with Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, uh, single-family loans, and doing refinances in particular, especially if you're thinking about pulling that equity out, well, now's a good time to do it because the more interest rates have now dropped because it has been announced they're canceling, they're, they're, they're stopping that, that penalty, that adverse market fee. It's interesting, it says here, they're gonna, as of August 1st, I should mention it, it says here, and I'm quoting, this is the acting director of the FHFA, that's the Federal Housing Finance Agency that, that oversees both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. She says, the COVID-19 pandemic financially exacer exacerbated America's affordable housing crisis. Eliminating the adverse market refinance fee will help families take advantage of the low rate environment and save more money. In other words, we shouldn't have put the fee into place in the first place, is what she's saying. We've made it harder for you to cover your own basis out of your equity by putting this adverse market fee into place. So the good news is August 1st goes away. If you're planning on doing a cash out refi, get it, get it going. Rates are going to drop. They have dropped a little bit because they pulled that half a percentage point penalty away. Stay tuned. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Austin's Talk 1370. Welcome back to the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show. Now, let's get back to your map to financial freedom. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Andy Webb, and today we're asking the question. Actually, this was asked of an article I read that a, a listener was kind enough to forward to me from wealthmanagement.com. And the question posed is, how much do multifamily investors, apartment investors, need to worry about the demand for single-family rentals, single-family houses? Is there some concern there? We just heard that some of the big players out there, some of those big institutional guys, Black, uh, Blackstone Group, for example, is, is gobbling up those houses. They just made a deal to buy Home Partners of America, which already owns 17,000. 17,000 single-family rental homes. What a big number. And they're adding that. Blackstone is now adding that to their portfolio. They clearly see a future for that investment. So do you, the apartment investor, need to be worried? Now, if you have any questions today on this topic or really anything else, maybe you want to hear about the Expo, Ooh, Wealth and Passive Income Expo. That's coming up not too far away now, about six weeks. That is Friday and Saturday, September 3rd and 4th, Labor Day weekend here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area at the Irving Convention Center at Las Colinas. And boy, if you want to learn about single family, that's a place to be. If you want to learn about multifamily, you say, yeah, I don't have those concerns <laughs> those apartment investors have. I'm, I'm all gung-ho. Let's get into those multifamily deals. Well, the Expo is the place to be. And you can learn more if you go to wealthandpassiveincomeexpo.com. But it's a great question. How much do the apartment investors need to worry? And some very concrete questions that they asked um, early on in this article uh, you know, aside from just generally wondering if they should, you know, multifamily investors should be worried about the booming, in their words, booming single-family rental sector, they've asked more specifically, are those single-family rental homes, are they going to hurt the the apartment property, you know, multifamily properties by essentially stealing, in their words, stealing current and and potential renters potential renters in other words someone's out in the market for a lease home for whatever reason or a, a, a property to lease they're looking at apartments and they're looking at houses and they decide on a house well that potential renter has now left that uh, potential apartment community and has now joined us in the world of single family rentals another question they ask is will occupancy and rental rates to our show from a couple weeks ago will occupancy and rental rates then drop if more residents are moving to single-family rentals. And just as an aside, it's, it's worth noting, I hear this very series of questions, but flipped on its head in some of the smaller landlord groups, you know, masterminds that I get together with from time to time. I'll occasionally hear those very questions, but posed with respect to all the multifamily that we see going up here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area or across Texas, is there any threat to our single-family properties? You know, doc, opposite question, hear, hear the same thing posed from single-family investors. Well, 
let's talk about something. Why, why might a renter prefer to rent from me, the single family investor, rather than from you, the apartment investor? Now, it's also worth noting here in this article, they do cite data that shows that about one third, one third of single family rental home residents do in fact come from multifamily properties. So they were existing renters in, in an apartment community and they've now decided to, to move into a house. And it's interesting, as somebody that's out there in the field, I, I manage my portfolio of single-family houses. So I do my lease-ups, and I use a particular application that includes questions about your current, if you're applying with me, your current uh, residence, where you live now, and, and as well your prior residence before that. Good, good to always ask, two, you, want, you want two sets of data. You want to, you as, as somebody that's leasing a house, am I... I'm going, to, I'm going to check in with the current landlord, but I want to check in with that prior landlord because they're going to be a little more straightforward with me if it's a rougher tenant. But we ask of both of those uh, data sets, we ask the question, re, well, why are you moving? What is the reason for your move? And, and common, common replies, common responses are very commonly more room, bigger, bigger place, uh, backyard, backyard for the kids to play or the dog to you know, do his thing, or, or maybe a yard with a shed or, or a workshop. A lot of the houses I've picked up over the years have those very amenities. Those are those sheds, those those utility shops with, with electric, no less. Um, maybe they need an attached garage. We get a lot of hail in, here in Texas. Or, or simply they're just tired of the, 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 the proximity to their neighbors and apartments, tired of the noise from above or below. So I get these replies on my applications, or maybe I'm just showing the property, do an open house, meet with 10, 12, 20 different people over the course of a couple hours. And in conversation, this comes up as well. And with the pandemic, we really saw that. People were really tired of being cooped up in their in their boxes, couldn't use the swimming pool, couldn't use those amenities that come with that apartment community. Therefore, they wanted out. They wanted that yard. So that's some of the reasons I've heard anyhow why Renters may prefer to move to single family out of multifamily. Now, flip that in its head, on its head. Why might renters prefer to stay in multifamily or prefer multifamily over single family? And here, I think you have to get a little more uh, granular. It's, it's going to depend on the demographic that we're talking about, as well as well as the class of apartment. A, B, C, or D. Apartments are rated using an alphabet system. A being the highest, D being the lowest, and in a lot of cases, and in the past in particular, I would say a lot of renters were looking for a more urban setting. They wanted something with a little higher density. And in the past as well, I would say to be closer to work. Think about downtown Dallas. Boy, if I could get into an apartment complex in Uptown, which is just north of the, the, the main uh, Dallas area there, uh, boy, it's a lot closer for me to get into the office. Well, what have we seen? Pandemic has come along we're all working from home. Maybe that's easing up a little bit now, but um, a lot of people now are seeing, well, I don't need to be in that urban setting. But that's commonly in the past been, been an argument. Now, speaking of amenities, of course, Class A apartments, all those apartments that, were, that are going up, what is the state bird of Texas? The construction crane. Just down the road from me, I've got a community going up. And it's a newer community that's, going to, that's inherently a Class A community. What are they going to have? They're going to have a pool. They're going to have a gym, maybe two. They're going to have a business center. Wi-Fi available for the residents in that business center. Friday night beer and brats at the community center or at the pool. Those are those Class A amenities that especially the younger folks are looking for. 
Class B, Class C workforce housing. Well, for them, they're looking for maybe a little bit agree, more agreeable rent. And they're going to find that in a Class C apartment compared to maybe a, a mid-level single-family rental. And, of course, a couple other more financial aspects of a single-family house that may deter a rental, renter from coming to me, at least here in Texas, single-family rentals do not normally come with a fridge. Well, they're moving out of an apartment. What do they need to do? Buy a fridge. I don't furnish furnish washer or dryer. Most landlords I know do not either. So if they're moving out of an apartment, they're going to need to buy those. They may have those already. And, of course, just the simple cost to get into that property. Security deposits are much, much higher on a single-family rental. Apartment might be four, five hundred, six hundred dollars $600. Whereas in a house, it's going to match the rent or maybe be, maybe be even higher. So those are reasons why people may prefer a single-family to mar- uh, multifamily or vice versa, why they may prefer multifamily to single-family. Now, to get back to our concerns for the multifamily investor, when we come back, we're going to talk, talk about demand for single-family renters. Talk 1370, the right choice. Warning. Listening to the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show will change your life. We will teach you how to create wealth and passive income so you can be financially free. And now, back to your host. We're taking a look at a good question. How much do multifamily investors need to worry about demand for single-family rental houses? Very good question. Something I've wondered about. And often we approach that, me and my single-family investor buddies, from the other side of the coin. How much do us, do we, the single-family investor, need to worry about those apartments that are being built all around the Dallas-Fort Worth area? And I think a corollary question that has arisen for me out of this very article is actually how much do I, the mom-and-pop investor, to use the the common vernacular, how, do, how much do I need to worry about institutional demand for those very houses that I'm trying to buy? We're going to take that up in this segment. I think we'll hit the primary question in the, in, in, in the last segment of the show. Uh, but I do want to point out some of the concerns that we're seeing or, or the apartment investor may notice is that there is a steady increase in demand for single-family rental houses, demand from renters, from the residents. And that's expected to continue over the next few years. In fact, again, I'm going to reference a show I referenced a minute ago from a couple weeks ago. Um, and you can catch that if you go to lifestylesunlimited.com, click on the radio tab. But we talked about the the growth in, in rents more broadly for both apartments and single family. Uh, but single family in particular is extremely hot. The growth rate is is unbelievable. I'm, I'm experiencing that as I relet properties this year. One of the big causes or big reasons for the demand right now, and it will continue, is affordability. Affordability to buy a house, essentially. And we know, we know there's, there, there is a shortage of houses to buy across the nation for owner-occupants. There's also a shortage of rental houses. And right now it's very expensive to build. We know that builders stopped building in 2008 as we had the, the housing crash. They've just never caught up. Now we've got local regulations and code and standards that are 
driving up the cost to build, not to mention material costs that have been inflating over time and anyhow, and more so lately with the pandemic and all the supply chain issues, and that is killing affordability. Houses cannot be built for a price that is affordable to the better part of the populace. Add on top of that, millennials. We talked about this in a couple weeks ago as well. That cohort, the, the, the upper end of that cohort is now, now attained 40, 40 years of age. So they're getting older. And they're finally doing that thing that we thought they'd never do, forming families, building households, and looking for more room. They're not getting that in those apartments, so they're now moving out into those single-family houses. And on top of that, boomers, baby boomers, they're, they're selling. They're capitalizing on the, the, the equity in their homes, and they're downsizing. But they don't want to go into an apartment either. They, they want to retain that, that privacy they're used to in a, in a house and avoid things like maintenance and, and, and sundry other expenses. So those two cohorts are getting in. My, my age group, I'm, I'm Gen X, we're, we're, a lot of us are re- renters as well. We've got three generation of renters in that space, and it's, it's creating a ton of demand on the rental side, and that's driving a ton of demand from investors to get into the single-family space. Now, there's a downside to that. There is downward pressure on our returns as single-family investors. Uh, In this article here, they talk about billions of dollars that have entered the market, single-family rental market, in the past 18 months. And, of course, that's the hedge funds buying up bulk, massive amounts of properties. It's it's pushing up the prices, naturally, and that, of course, is pushing down the returns. Uh, institutional investors may be seeing something from 6 to 10% is the number cited in this article. Now, remember, this is for those big hedge funds. They have very selective criteria, but that's going to naturally flow through to you and me as well. That's one downside to all this activity we're seeing from the hedge funds and the institutional investors. But despite that downward pressure on returns, institutional interest in this asset class, single-family rentals, well, it's expected to continue for the reason we just talked about. The demand on the rental side from the residents is huge, and it will continue. And keep in mind as well, a lot of that institutional money is essentially retargeting. They're, They're moving their funds from things like retail, real estate, shopping malls, shopping centers, you know, the the standalone triple net lease type properties, and they're moving into two spaces, industrial and then residential, which includes our single family asset class. Now, the bigger piece of their their shift is going into industrial. That's the good news. But they are taking up a lot of those single family houses. Get this, since 2008, institutional investors have bought over 300,000 single family houses. 300,000. Now, hang on to that number, and we're going to get to my corollary question for you and for me, the single-family investor, what, what is commonly called the mom-and-pop investor. Now, I'll tell you, the way I operate my business is as a business. So I don't think of myself as a mom-and-pop investor, and I hope that you also operate your business as a business. But back to that number and my corollary question, should you and I be worried about these in institutional investors and their demand for single-family renters. Back to back to the number, 300,000. 
homes bought by these institutional guys. It sounds like a lot. But let's put that into perspective. That 300,000 represents just 2%, 2% of the total U.S. single-family rental home market. It's a very small number. I feel less concerned when, I, when, I, when, when that, that perspective, when, that, when we shine a light on that particular number. Compare that to multifamily where these institutional investors own 55% of the sector. Much bigger share. Now, you and I, the smaller operators, the non-institutional ladies and, and, and guys, we, we own 80%, 80% of the single-family rental market. So that 300K that was bought over the course of, what, 13 years represents 2% of the single-family rental market. They've added just 2% to their portfolio. We still own 80%. In fact, if you go back also to, the, I'm going to reference you to another show. This is from January 31st. I did a show where we talked about demographics. We looked at the demographics of America's rental owners. Very good information if you want to understand who we are, who who you are, what, what, where do you fit into that picture. Go give that a listen. That's on our website as as well. But you need to ask yourself, okay, well, they're buying 2%. They're, they're 300,000. Sounds like a big number. But just what are just what are hedge funds buying when it comes to houses? And, and, and it varies. It's going to vary based on their model. But most of them are looking for newer assets. They, they want to, at a minimum, a minimum 80s, 1980s build year, mid-80s or newer. Why is that? Well, maintenance the repair cost to go in and rehab that property. It's a little more complicated when you're buying 17000 to get your crews out there and rehab all of these houses. So they're looking for stuff that needs a little less work, perhaps. What does that mean for you and, and, and for me, the single-family investor, the quote-unquote mom and pop? Well, we can target those older properties, and we're going to get better returns. I do see better returns on my older properties right now. And also, as we speak right now, here's an important consideration. I find this interesting. I was talking with uh, the lead realtor at Lifestyles Unlimited a few weeks ago, and she pointed out that hedge fund buying is starting to slow down right now in the calendar year. Why is that? Well, they have, a, they have a, an acquisition budget, and they're starting to deplete those acquisition funds. So they're buying less. This means you and I should see less competition from those institutional players in the second half of the year. And anecdotal evidence, just talking to a wholesaler I know, he, he posed the question, I'm not seeing that interest from the hedge funds. Where have they gone? He did not have the insight that my realtor did, but it points to the same direction. They're slowing up their buying. That means you and I need to get ready and get into the market now to pick up those houses. Last part of the puzzle here for you and I, the corollary question, should I be concerned as a single-family investor about those institutional investors we're going to take up when we come back from the break? Talk 13-7, the right choice. Welcome back to the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show. It's time to turn up the volume and fine-tune your passive income plan so you can create the lifestyle you've always wanted. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Andy Webb. We are in our final segment. If you have any questions, send me an email to askandy at l u i n c 
Now we're going to wrap up the show here. We've asked the question at the very start, how much do multifamily investors need to worry about the demand for single family renters or rentals? First, we're going to wrap up our corollary question. How much do you and I, if you're a single family investor, how much do we need to worry about those institutional investors? Well, we heard that they are pushing down returns because they're out there in the market. They've, they've got a lot of money to play with and they're pushing up prices. That does push down returns. Now they tend to focus on a specific age range. They don't go to the older end of the spectrum. Typically, most of the hedge funds do not. They're looking at maybe mid 80s and newer just because we got new, we have newer plumbing. We've already got the PVC typically. We've got newer wiring, uh, just newer standards. You don't have to address all of that during the renovation, during the rehab. You and I can go down and take out a take down a fifties build, and, and and update all that stuff. We we're, we're a little more amenable to that, and we get better returns, by the way, because of that. Now, another thing that institutional investors tend to look for is markets where where they're able to scale. Again, thinking about Blackstone that took down seventeen thousand or bought a company that owned 17,000 single-family rentals, those are not just spread all over the place. They're, they're, they're looking for houses in, in what, they, what they're calling clusters. Why, why are they doing that? Well, it's just easier to manage. They're looking for homes in specific, what they're calling MSAs, Metropolitan Statistical Areas, i.e. bigger, bigger cities, Dallas-Fort Worth, Houston, maybe Austin, San Antonio, if we're thinking about Texas, uh, they're not going out into those secondary and tertiary markets, so they're looking in, in. They're looking to find houses in clusters, specific neighborhoods, perhaps within those cities, and, and and again, unlikely to target those those smaller areas. So, if you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area, for example, they're probably not going up to Sherman. They're probably not going out to Tyler or out to Wichita Falls. So, those are good areas for you to look, especially if you're in those areas. I know a lot of investors at Lifestyles Unlimited that are taking down great deals in those secondary and tertiary markets. So we've heard a lot of things around institutional investors, what they're looking at, the fact that, well, sounds like big numbers, but in the grand scheme of things, it's just a portion. It's just a small percentage. 300,000 houses represents 2% of the total single-family rental market. So again, to my corollary question, should you, should I, the quote-unquote mom-and-pop investors be worried? No. We we, we own 80% of the market. Again, 2% of the houses taken down by those institutional investors over 13 years. Now, what about multifamily investors? What about multifamily owners and operators? Should you be worried? Again, the title of this article, and this was forwarded to me by a listener. I, I do appreciate that. It was on wealthmanagement.com, published about a month ago. And the title was, How Much Do Multifamily Investors Need to Worry About Demand for Single-Family Rentals? I did not want to read the subtitle at the outset of the show because it gives away the punchline. Subtitle reads, While the single-family rental sector has been posting strong growth, its success is likely to benefit multifamily properties. Experts predict. Huh. So the success of the single-family rental sphere is expected to benefit apartments. How is that? Well, if I look a little bit further in this article, there are a number of uh, uh, quotes in here. And 
one gentleman, Robert Sun, he's an investment product strategist with GTIS Pro, Pro, uh, Partners. He says that we view multifamily and single-family rentals, uh, re- residential rentals, houses, as complementary complementary asset classes rather than indirect competition with each other. Now, of course, there are times where uh, a resident, a potential resident is out there in the market. Maybe they've just sold their home. A lot, a lot of older folks are doing that right now, and they want to rent. Well, now they have a choice to make. Apartments, single family. Well, there's a little bit of direct competition there, but on the whole, the bulk of your resident base in apartments is going to be a little different than the bulk of your resident base in houses. We complement each other. We are not in direct competition. Now, the article goes on to cite yet another uh, investor, and I find this one interesting. Uh, they, they, they speak with a, a gentleman named Vincent DiOrio, and he talks about Denver-based Atlas. This is a company that recently also has started to uh, a foray into single-family investing, and they're They've got 250 million, in fact, uh, of equity in single-family homes already, and and they're planning on buying more. But here's the interesting part: aside from going after those single-family rentals, the company also has roughly 5,000 apartment units in their portfolio. Interestingly, as well, they're focusing primarily on complexes that are fewer than 100 units. And you got some of those big dogs out there taking down those 600-plus unit apartment complexes. Well, they're focusing on the smaller side. And now he says, I don't think apartment owners feel threatened by single-family rentals. Both single-family and multifamily are providing much-needed housing solutions. And I really like this part. He says, at the end of the day, we're both providing residential housing. That's true. But here's the quote I like. We're swimming in the same ecosystem. We're swimming in the same ecosystem. Now, among other things, how does that benefit apartment owners? Well, they go on to say that rising single-family rents, and they are up. Again, two weeks ago, tune into the prior show. Go check that out on our website, lifestylesunlimited.com, talking about rent growth. Rising single-family rents benefit multifamily. Well, how is that? Well, among other things, they're going to track together a little bit. As apartment leases come open or apartments come open for lease, they'll do a market study. Now, they're going to look at the other apartments in the area. I I, I trust they're in tune with the local housing market in their area as well. Those rents are up. It's going to give a little bit of upward room for apartments as well. Not necessarily one-to-one, but maybe more importantly, as I and you, the single-family rental owner, push our rents higher, and higher because the market is allowing for it right now. Well, at some point, we're going to hit a tipping point, and market share will shift as rents on single families get higher to multifamily. At some point, we'll become a little less affordable as single family rental houses, and those apartments will become more attractive as the more affordable option. But again, some of those institutional investors out there, they see that there is magic in both. They're operating both single-family and multifamily. They're not worried. They're not concerned. They're getting a bit of both of those pies. Somewhere in the article I don't have in front of me, they, they talk about the pie. There's not a scarcity mentality there. There is an abundance mentality. The pie is big enough. The pie is big enough for both you, the single-family mom-and-pop investor, as well as those institutional investors in single-family, as well as multifamily.
their enterprise is actually getting bigger. And they no, they didn't they didn't put a date to this 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 statistic, but they said it's the first time we've seen in the U.S. the growth rate in renters, the number of renters. The growth rate in the number of renters was higher than the growth rate in home ownership. So more people are shifting to the renter side of the equation. We talked about affordability already. We know the prices are up, and that's driving issues on the owner-occupant side. So single-family investors, should you be concerned about those institutional guys? No. Multifamily apartment investors, should you be concerned about the single-family investors? No. The pie is big enough. So now that we've dispelled any concerns about multifamily versus single family, we're swimming in the same ecosystem. If you want to become an investor in residential rental real estate, if you want to build up your passive income, your cash flow from residential rental real estate, which is the right asset class for you? Is that multifamily? Is that single family? That's probably the more important question for you to answer, not whether single family is a threat to multifamily or multifamily is a threat to single family. Which is the right asset class for you? Why might you choose one over the other? And we've talked about these on other shows. We're not going to go into detail. We're headed towards the end of the show right now. Single family is a little more liquid. You have a bigger buyer pool when you want to dispose of that asset. Cash flow per unit tends to be higher. Multifamily cash flow per unit tends to be lower, but hey, you got a lot of units. And of course, the valuation, the way that multifamily is valued is totally different than single family. It's got a huge wealth building component. These are all questions that you need to answer. What are your returns? What do you want to achieve as an investor as a cash on cash return? What sort of gains do you need to see? If you're not sure, you need to get educated and get educated on both. I mentioned our wealth and passive income expo that's coming up here in Dallas-Fort Worth again. Labor Day weekend, Friday and Saturday, September 3rd and 4th. Great opportunity to learn about both of those asset classes. Go check out wealthandpassiveincomeexpo.com to learn more. If you decide to register, use my name, all caps, Andy, A-N-D-Y, and you'll get $97 off any passer package. Great opportunity, whether you're here in Dallas or driving up from Houston or flying in from the coast. I'll be there. I hope to see you there. Again, that's wealthandpassiveincomeexpo.com. The pie is big enough for all of us. I thank you for listening today. You've been listening to the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show. And remember, it's not the money, it's the lifestyle. You have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show. Ready for more of the map? Visit lifestylesunlimited.com. Explore our videos and articles. Click on the radio tab to access past show podcasts. View the radio show schedule and listen to our best of radio shows. Want to continue the conversation? Follow Lifestyles Unlimited on Facebook today. Join us next time. And until then, remember, it's not the money, it's the lifestyle.
The information and opinions you hear on the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show are those of the hosts, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show constitutes an endorsement recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.